Hello, welcome to Home Baking. This is a podcast all about home baking by a home baker for home bakers, and it's all also adventures in um, home baking through history and culture. So today we are going to be talking about granita and brioche and my summer of eating and how granita is eaten in Sicily. So very much looking forward to talking to you today. Let's go. I wanted to just start the episode by talking about some of the things I've been eating over this summer. It's many, many things. So I went on holiday to Ravine in Croatia, um, in Istria, which is um, a very beautiful place. Um, It was quite heaving in August. So we did slightly regret the time of year or maybe think we've potentially gone somewhere quieter. Um, And I think because it's quite touristic, there was kind of the quality of food varied a bit but there was still some incredible food to be had um so we ate really really well while we were there and also just cooking over the summer I've done some really good cooking and we've had some nice um, meals out as well so I wanted to talk about those briefly as well so here are the very good things that I have eaten this summer I had an almond granita from a place called Ombra in Ravine, which was mind-blowingly incredible. I had uh, sea bass with chard from a like family restaurant um, on the outskirts of Ravine, um, in the sort of bit where there's a lot of people who camp, um, <clears throat> and a lot of Germans as well, a lot of uh, German holiday makers camping with car- camper vans and caravans, etc. Um, but yeah, there's this little restaurant. It was really, really great. And I had a delicious sea bass with a, with chard. And that's apparently very common in Istria, but I didn't know that. Um, I had a, a very, very good walnut gelato from an Italian um, gelateria in Ravine. Very, very nice. Um, I had fig dumplings from the same place, actually, that I had the sea bass. Um, and they were like these, yeah, little dumplings that you could get stuffed with savory things from Maine or these were, we, these were with fig, um, a sort of fig jam. They were delicious and they were served with icing sugar and cream and a couple of different sauces. Very, very nice indeed. Um, another nice meal we had was we went on a boat trip and we had sardines um while we were sitting on a beach watching the sunset um and so they the sardines were just cooked very simply with just you know olive oil and salt pretty much not much not much else um but they were lovely and we just had them with some bread um soaked up the sauces of the uh, the sauce and, and the kind of juices of the fish um that was lovely so it's just a, a nice setting and a nice thing to eat. I had a, approximately 1,000 um, uh, cups of espresso, um, <laughs> which were all very good. This part of this part of Croatia is very near Italy. In fact, it was uh, ruled by Venice for a long time, um, back in the days when Italy was lots of different city-states and wasn't a country. Um and which yeah it was for a very long time like that um but yeah there's a big italian influence a lot of people speak italian in istria um and it's got a lot of similarities in northern italy as well um there's a lot of olives grown a lot of wine uh, made a lot of grapes grown obviously as a um for the wine um yeah a lot of they have truffles as well like northern italy so very, very nice. Um, very good food. Um, lovely weather. It was actually very hot when we were there. It was slightly too hot for us, but, um, I think going in September, October would probably be slightly nicer. Um, and maybe less busy as well. 
Um, another very nice thing I had, and this was literally just from a supermarket bakery section, but um, they were very good. They were like little buns that had poppy seed and jam in, inside. A really tart jam, which I'm not entirely sure what it was. It could have been raspberry, but I'm not 100%. Those were excellent. And the poppy seeds are kind of nutty and earthy. And I just, I really like them. They're very, I feel like they're underrated in, in this country. Um, whereas they're very popular in Central Europe. Um, we had a borek, um, which uh, is something you find like all over the sort of southeast of Europe. Um, and this one was with salty fresh cheese. It was delicious. Um, other things we had in Croatia, we had some olive oil uh, from the farm, the Brist farm. We we're very excited to see when we got back that they have got a partnership now with Citizens of Soil. So um, we can buy their olive oil in, in the UK now, which we couldn't before. We did bring a bottle home with us, though, and we've been using that in our food, which has been wonderful. Um, what else did we have over there? I think that's it for the very good things we had over there. Um, but in addition to that, we when once we got back, like a, a while after we got back from Croatia, we had um, we went to Chinatown on my request <laughs> as a last hurrah for the summer. And we had a delicious meal at Four Seasons, which is a Cantonese restaurant. Um, really particularly, um, they specialize in roast duck. So we had roasted duck on rice. We had pork belly. We had a, a life-changing coriander salad. It was so vibrant and fresh. Um, it's just like loads and loads of coriander and chili and some other bits and bobs with a lot of black vinegar and oil and sesame oil. It was unbelievably good. Um, and then we follow that up with custard taiyaki, you know, the little fish shaped waffles. These ones were filled with custard. And then we took home um, a steamed peanut cake from Chinatown Bakery, which was wonderful. It was so fluffy and peanutty and it was still good the next day. We also tried some Milo Billog. So we had, there's this extremely good Filipino bakery um, called Mameson. And that we got like, um, last time we went, we got Ube Bilog, which is the, um, so it's like brioche or a kind of enriched bread, enriched Filipino bread that is toasted and then stuffed with ice cream. And the Ube is like a delicious flavor that I'm sure you've probably heard of, but it's, it's a, it comes from a vegetable that's bright purple, and it tastes like kind of a cross between, I would say, vanilla and coconut. Um, it's very, very good. And, and I, I love it. Um, we had a Milo ice cream this time instead, which was like a chocolate malt, which was nice. But it was like kind of quite mild, not not bl not blowing me away. So I think I'd just go back to Ube next time. Um, and, but we did take home an Ube brownie which was really nice it was like ube with like white chocolate um it was lovely really really good i had that the next day as well and it was just as good um what else have we had over the summer so i've been cooking like quite a lot of summery food so i've been cooking a lot of tomatoes a lot of aubergines um a lot of courgettes like summer vegetables um a lot of peppers so Something that I've had in the rotation every few weeks is um, Yotamata Lenghi's grandmother's Passover courgettes. Um, so there's multiple recipes that he's published that feature these Passover courgettes. Basically, you fry courgettes, you sort of deep fry them um, or cook them in a lot of oil and then you drain them a little bit on in a, in a colander. Um, I usually put a bit of kitchen roll in the colander as well. And then you soak them once you've fried them in red wine vinegar. And they're just so unbelievably good. I just love them. They're so delicious. Um, so, and, and they're really nice, like in a salad. They're nice on their own. They're nice in with pasta. So based on, kind of vaguely based on a recipe that's in plenty, I've been having them with short pasta shapes 
with and feta, olive oil, capers and herbs. Really lovely. Um, so those are something I've been going back to a time and again. We've had a couple of times on the Ottolenghi theme, we've had a couple of times his, um, this is also in plenty, the soba noodles with aubergine and mango and coriander. Very good. It's something that I won't make that often because again, it's kind of the slightly laborious task of frying lots of aubergine in batches, um, a bit like the courgette frying. Um, but it's so delicious. It's so fresh, vibrant, but also rich and nutty and like all of the things. Love it. I've been making um, some chilled soups. Today I'm going to be making an ajo blanco, but I've not made that yet, so I can't report back. Um, but I'm soaking some toasted toasted blanched almonds currently for, to make it, just to hopefully make it easier on my food processor. <laughs> Um, if they've been soaked, I'm hoping they'll be a bit softer. Um, but I've been making a lot of salmorejo, which is a very simple soup, uh, cold soup from Andalusia, which is just tomatoes, uh, bread, garlic, oil, sherry vinegar, salt. That's pretty much it. Um, and I have been making... Um, also gazpacho, which is slightly more, got slightly more ingredients than salmorejo. So it doesn't typically have bread in it, but it does have peppers, um, tomatoes, uh, cucumber, and like, I think garlic again, um, oil, water. Um, and the other thing I've been doing is putting fried croutons with everything. So fried croutons with the Passover courgettes and, and pasta, fried croutons with salmorejo, fried croutons with gazpacho. They just go with everything and they're so delicious. Yes, they're not winning any health awards, but um, just as a little garnish, they're very, very good. Um, <clears throat> and then a couple of other things that we've eaten that were very good, so or that were good. I had a Fiordi Sicilia gelato. This is going back to Croatia. We had this. That was very nice. Um, Fiordi Sicilia or Sicilia. Um, so that kind of inspired me to maybe make one of those in the future. Um, I thought it could be even more punchy, like even more citrusy, even more floral. But it was very nice. And I also had a fig leaf sorbetto that was good um, in a different ice cream shop. I essentially was having to have at least one ice cream a day because I wanted to try them all out, um, try all the different ice cream places out. So that was good. Um, questionably, I we did try some truffle ice cream um, and it was from a really nice restaurant, which I would recommend to people. Um, it was um, in the sleepy little town, hill town called Bala. There's this gorgeous restaurant that's really well priced, very like refined food. But for dessert, we ordered truffle ice cream to share. Thank God we shared it because it was huge and very rich. Um, but it was just like odd, really. Um, I don't think I would have truffle ice cream again, not at least not in a sweet. So the truffles themselves are quite like savory, you know, they're earthy, they're like quite pungent. Um, and it just didn't really work for me. Um, there was just so much truffle in it as well. It was just very overwhelming. There was loads of truffle in the ice cream and then loads of truffle on top. To be honest, very good value for the amount of truffle we were getting, but I just didn't really enjoy it that much. And then the other thing, that I found weird was the texture of the ice cream was like it was like they scooped it into balls so it clearly wasn't meant to be a like um uh what am I the, I'm, what's the title of the episode called cake granita it wasn't meant to be a granita but it was very icy so I think we were wondering if it had had a storage issue like it had defrosted and then frozen again and it had like iced up or something, but it was a kind of odd. So that's something I wouldn't recommend. But what I will say is that just a plain vanilla, like 
sweet ice cream or a plain chocolate sweet ice cream with a fruity olive oil that's delicious like that's really good and that's kind of sweet and savory but very very good so truffle ice cream not my thing but we've eaten tremendously well this summer so we're very very lucky so next up i'm going to talk a little bit about granita where it comes from how it varies across sicily and then we're going to talk about some recipes Let's talk about granita. So, um, as you might know, it's it's relatively common to have it as a breakfast with brioche, um, some sort of enriched bread in Sicily, at least during the summer. Um, but slight, something that is um, hard to get your head around is in Italy, in Northern Italy, a lot of the time brioche means croissant, but in the south it usually does mean a enriched bread um not sure how that came about but anyway um and the brioche that you tend to get in sicily is like a little bun that's kind of got like a it's got like a little hat on top so it's got like a big circle a big well round thing round blob and then it's got a little round blob on top of that and it's baked like that um not sure why but that's kind of very typical um, granita is historically a descendant of Shabbat, which is a kind of sugary drink. Um, and that kind of is a reminder of Sicily's complex history and like it's been invaded by lots of different groups and ruled by different, um, places. So you can find Arab and Ottoman influences among others. And that's one of the reasons why they have pistachios, as I've talked about in previous episodes, um, why pistachios are such an important crop there. Um, so the texture of the granita and the way that it's served kind of varies across different parts of Sicily. So you get very, apparently you get very grainy granita in Palermo. In Messina, it's often served with coffee. In Catania, almond granita is very common. Um, and um, I loved the almond granita I had. It was very almondy. It had clearly had a portion of bitter almonds as well as um, like regular sort of Marcona type almonds. Um, so I was kind of inspired by that combination of brioche and granita to come up with my own pairings. So I used my usual kind of sweet bun recipe to make two different types of buns so one is a just very vanilla-y bun. Um, I had a vanilla bun from like this little coffee cart in Bloomsbury in central London. Bloomsbury is the bit where there's lots of like uh, sort of Georgian buildings and lots of uh, university colleges around there. There's lots of nice little squares with gardens in the middle. It's very like what tourists imagine London to be like London's actually a lot dirtier, grimier, and mixed than than that. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was from Blooms this little coffee cart in Bloomsbury, and they were just very, very vanilla-y. And I was like, this, I've never had anything like this. It was great. And like, I was like, well, if you can make cardamom buns and you can make cinnamon buns, why can't we use vanilla as a strong spice, not as a background? So that's what I've done. Obviously, it doesn't come cheap, unfortunately, real vanilla. So it's not the cheapest thing to make, but um, it is very nice. I also made plum butter buns. So I bought some prunes and made a kind of plum butter out of those, um, following the uh, following the example of the glorious Irina Georgescu, the Romanian food writer, to make that plum butter. Um, and then I thought, to be honest, I the way that I paired these was, that, so there's also two granitas. There's a grape, Concord grape granita, and there's a cocoa granita, which is very dark and rich. Um, now, 
the way I paired it was I put the cocoa granita with the prune buns. Chocolate and prune or plum goes really well together. And the kind of strength of the cocoa was matched with the strength of the flavor of the prune. So that's what I felt really worked. And then I matched the Concord grape granita, which is fruity and interesting with the like kind of musky vanilla. But you could switch and change these about if you wanted to. I feel that the the I feel like the vanilla thing would the vanilla buns would go well with the cocoa. Um, but you might want to take bites of each so that you don't just overwhelm the vanilla. Um, and I think the prune would probably work with the grape granita as well, to be fair. Or you could try and make some sort of plum juice granita instead to really like have double plum. Um, so yes, those are my pairings. Um, and you can obviously have this for dessert if you prefer. So if you're going to serve the cocoa granita, you don't, you really do want to serve it with some whipped cream because it's so rich and dark, it really needs the dairy. Um, and so I did have that. I had granita cream and a bun for my breakfast. It's very healthy, obviously. Um, but you could instead have just the granita and cream for dessert, which I've been doing several, several nights in a row now. And the Concord grape granita, if you wanted to have that as a dessert, it would be lovely with just some salted biscuits. That's what I've been having, like salt, um, salted sugar cookies. Um, so like a, a sort of shortbread or um, you can get these all over Europe. You can get something called butter biscuits. I don't know if there's an equivalent in other countries, but in continents, but they're like my favorite are the ones by Lou, which is a French brand, L-U. And they are like buttery with a hint of salt and they're like really toasty and they're crisp. So they're very nice with a granita. It's really like a nice contrast to the fresh fruity granita. You've got this like buttery, slightly salty biscuit. So those are my recommendations if you want to have them for dessert. Um, that's what I would do. So what I'm going to do is talk about the two granitas first. Then I'm going to talk about the buns. So like I said, you wouldn't necessarily get these types of buns with your granita in Sicily. But I just thought, well, I like it's not that different from a brioche. I'm just doing a flavoured brioche, basically. So that's what I was that's I was sort of taking a liberty there. But um, I hope that you find these inspiring or enjoyable. Um, just to give you a bit of an insight, like the granitas are incredibly easy to make, but they taste and look so sophisticated. With the grape one, you literally just freeze grape juice. It's crazy. And then you stir it, you like fork it through and stir it. With the cocoa one, all you do is like, um, all you really need to do is like dissolve the sugar in the other, in the water with the other ingredients. And then you just freeze that. It's so easy. Um, and then you have to sort of stir it through with a fork, etc. But yeah, really, really easy to make. Um, so let's start with the easiest one, which is the Concord grape granita. Um, I've never had Concord grape juice before. And it is so delicious. Um, so I was reading through my great big book of ice creams, which is um, a book by Robin and Caroline Weir, which is called Ice Cream, Sorbets and Gelati, The Definitive Guide. And in it, it's like, it says, this is the probably the simplest recipe in the book. It's got one ingredient and it's, but it's really delicious. And I was like, okay, let's try it out. Um, so I, yeah, as I said, I'd never actually had Concord grape juice before. We, it's not that common here. Um, and I'll also like, for some reason, the grapes that I find in Britain are really boring. Um, whereas Concord grapes are really interesting. They taste so good and they taste like the natural version of everything grape flavored, you know, like grape flavored lip balm, grape flavored sweets. Um, but I've never had the the original natural Concord grape. I'd only had things that 
it had been that had been based on that flavor and i was like blown away by how amazing it is it's just such a unique flavor that i've never had anything like it um it's so fruity and complex and interesting um and it kind of it's kind of got like a bubblegummy flavor even though it's like not completely natural it's really intriguing um i really liked it so in order to make it all you do is you get like 500 milliliters, which is a little bit over two US cups of Concord grape juice. And I used, I used Welch's. Um, it needs to be 100% grape juice. Mine, they were a bit cheeky actually. I thought it was 100% Concord grapes and it wasn't. It had some other grapes mixed in. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to get a juice drink because then it'll have too much sugar. And you don't want to get a light version because then it won't have enough sugar. So you need enough natural sugars um, from a pure grape juice to get the right consistency. Um, so all you do is you pour the grape juice into a wide-based container that you can put in the freezer and that you can run a fork through without damaging. I like to cover it just to prevent any freezer burn, but it's not a lot of other people don't say that you have to, but um, Robin Weir does. Robin and Caroline Weir do. And then you place that in the freezer for about 45 minutes then you take it out of the freezer and you fork through any lumps what you'll start note what you'll see is that the edges will freeze first so go through those edges mix them into the middle so that it starts to freeze a bit more evenly in the middle as well um, then pop it back into the freezer for about half an hour or maybe up to 45 minutes again then fork it again and then you want to leave it less time the next time, so like 30 minutes or so, and then fork it, and then probably one or two more times you need to do the same. So it is really easy to make. It does just require you to be in your house and be able to just go and tend to it every half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, so that's our Concord Grape Granita, and it has the most wonderful like little nib-nibs of ice. The texture was sublime. I loved it. And you have to see the nib nibs, I think. You have to see, go on my Instagram or subscribe to the newsletter to go and so you can see the little, like, crunchy little things of ice. It was just so delicious. Um, I just loved it. Okay, so the cocoa granita isn't quite as easy, but it's still very easy. So you want 500 milliliters of water again. In Sicily, they always use, like, purified water, filtered water, or spring water. I'm not, I don't think it would make much difference chemically um, to the final result, but I, I usually have filtered water about anyway, so I just use I just use some water from my from my filter. Um, then you want 70 grams of Dutch processed cocoa, um, the best quality that you can afford. So I use a brand called Green and Blacks, which is a common organic brand in Britain, just because I like the flavour of it, to be honest um that's yeah that's the main reason um and then you want 120 grams of sugar you could use granulated or castor either is fine doesn't really matter because it's going to be dissolved in the liquid then you want a tablespoon of Kahlua or another non-milky liqueur um that's got a coffee or chocolate flavor and then to serve that you're going to want some uh, softly whipped double cream or heavy cream. Um, you could serve with, if you like, with a little bit of flaky salt. You could serve it with some sharp fruit like raspberries or passion fruit, but definitely do the cream because it is necessary. Um, so to make the granita, you're going to combine the water, the sugar and the cocoa in a pan, whisk it just with a hand whisk and heat it gently. Um, not an electric one, just with your hand, with just a normal hand whisk. Just heat that, gently whisking it until it's combined and then kind of continue to heat it until the sugar has dissolved. And if you're not sure, you can get a spoon out and just have a look, have all the crystals dissolved. If so, then stir in the Kahlua or other liqueur and then pour it into your wide-bottomed container. So again, something that you can freeze and that you can run a fork through without damaging. Um, then once you've put it into that wide bottomed container, it's going to cool a lot quicker than it would in a saucepan because it's a much larger surface area. 
So leave that to cool to room temperature or fridge temperature. If you have got space in your fridge, you could do that. Then place it in the freezer covered. Again, I would cover this to prevent freezer burn, but it lots of people say you don't need to do that. Then um, leave that for 45 minutes. And then it's the same as as with the grape granita. So run, after 45 minutes, run a fork through it to break any lumps up um, and kind of get it more even. Then place it back in the freezer for 30 minutes and then fork again and then repeat a few more times till you have some nice crystals. Now, as I said, the, the texture of granita varies in different parts of Sicily. For this one, I, tr- I actually... Um, tried out something different which was I blitzed it in the food processor um once it had frozen to get it a bit more smooth and I quite liked that effect with the chocolate I thought it was quite nice what the disadvantage of that is that it melts much more quickly so once you've served up the granita to your guests it's almost certainly already going to have a chocolate puddle in the bottom of the bowl or in the bottom of the bowl but the way that the chocolate and the cream mix together, it tastes phenomenal. It tastes stupendous. So for me, it's not a problem. But if you want a granita that's um, not going to be melty as soon as you've served it, then you might not want to like put it in a food processor and make it smoother. Um, so that's the cocoa granita. Next up... Um, and just to talk a little bit about the Coco Renita. So it's very, very rich and dark, like I said. On its own, it's a bit too much. So I think it is best served with some cream. Um, and I like the different contrast of the kind of fridge cold, softly whipped cream with the icy, very cold Coco Renita. It was a very nice contrast of textures and um, temperatures. Um, very very nice indeed um yeah and I didn't serve it with any fruit but you could like absolutely so in Alexina Anatol on Kitchen Projects suggests serving it with passion fruit but I think raspberries would be also very good blackberries would be good just a, a fruit that's got a little good of p- sort of punch of acidity I think would be nice here but not yeah not maybe not raw dogging a lemon um, you sort of mean something that's kind of fruity but got an acidity as well um, so I really recommend trying granita it's so simple to do it is a bit of a process but it doesn't require any special equipment and it feels very sophisticated um, and grown up especially serving it to others and they're like oh this is exciting um, so it kind of looks impressive, but it actually doesn't take a huge amount of effort. So we're going to talk next about the buns. And we're not going to go through the method twice because it's the same basically for both. Um, and also I have talked about very similar buns on the podcast before. <clears throat> so we'll just go through the basics. So what you want for this, to make about 12 quite big buns, you want 500 grams of strong bread flour, like white bread flour, 8 grams of instant or fast action yeast. Now, if you want here, you can substitute fresh yeast or active dried, but you will need a different quantity. So look up a conversion table for for yeasts and go from there. Um, 300 ml of single cream or light cream it's called sometimes um 50 grams of butter 60 grams of sugar five grams of salt an egg yolk and a bit of milk for the egg wash to uh just before baking and then for the filling okay so this is where it's differing for the vanilla filling you want 150 grams of sugar 100 grams of soft butter and two teaspoons of vanilla bean paste plus the seeds of a vanilla pod, but reserve the pod. Um, For the uh, plum butter, you need um, a bit less sugar because there's a lot of sweetness coming from the prunes. So you want 50 grams of soft, light brown sugar, 100 grams of soft butter, and 300 grams of prunes, and also two lemons. 
the juice of two lemons. Um, so in terms of the method, we'll just run through them at the same time and I'll tell you where they differ. So this is, it starts with a difference. So it, for the vanilla buns, you want to steep the vanilla pod with the cream and butter. So you want to put the, you want to put the cream and butter in a, sorry, the, yeah, the, all the cream and the 50 grams of butter in a saucepan with the vanilla pod where you've scraped the seeds out already and you want to just heat those up until just steaming then turn the heat off and leave it to steep until room temperature once it's kind of room temperature or slightly hotter than that like kind of body temperature is good as well um then you want to pluck out the pod and discard it in squeezing out any cream then from the pod so that you're not wasting any and then um, crack the eggs in and whisk those to combine. I forgot to put the eggs in the recipe. That was silly. How many eggs is it? Ah, okay. It is two large eggs. So you can use US, um, Australia, Canada large. You could use UK EU large as well, which I do. Um, or you can use UK EU medium. That's also fine. Um, yeah, but you need the two eggs as well. Um, just as well I read through these as well before I before I um, publish them. Um, so, <clears throat> okay. Now, if you're using doing the plum butter buns instead, you don't need to do the steeping. So all you'll do is gently heat the cream and butter until it's slightly warm, very slightly warm to the touch. It's sort of body temperature. And I find that personally easier to do in the microwave. Then you want to crack your eggs in, whisk it to combine. And then um, then you're at the same stage. So for both of them, in a, the bowl of a stand mixer, um, you can do this by hand, but it's a lot of work, so I don't recommend it. Um, if you want to make something like this, maybe look up a no-need recipe and then just copy my filling um, so that you've got a recipe that you can make by hand that's easier. But yeah, for this recipe, in the bowl of a stand mixer, you mix together the flour and salt. And then once you've mixed those in, you mixed in the yeast. Um, you'll need to use your yeast in a different way if you're using another type, by the way. Um, then you want to just add your liquids, your cream mixture with the eggs in it and stuff. And then stir it. I just stir it with the dough hook because I'm going to use that later anyway. Stir that by hand until you've got like a shaggy mixture. Um, so you don't have like lumps of dry, you don't have like bits of dry flour just hanging out. Um, you've kind of mixed it together the best you can. Then you cover that with a plate or cling film, just something to stop it from drying out too much, or it could be a tea towel as well. Leave that for about 20 minutes or so. And I just find that giving it a bit of a rest is, makes it easier to knead. So it won't take as long for your mixer to knead it it's not as hard on the motor of your mixer um kind of future proofing my KitchenAid here a little bit um so that's what i like to do it's called auto lease that stage then once you've had it given it that rest then knead it until it's very soft and supple um so yeah you want it to be smooth and coming away from the sides um I don't think it needs to be as stretchy as some breads, like you're not trying to make pizza, but you, if you can get a small bit that you can stretch out to see, to see light coming through, that is good. A window pane, that's called the window pane, um, I don't know, method or sign or something, but it's not, yeah, I, I'm not kind of as concerned as I would be if I was making sourdough or pizza dough. Um, then cover that again, leave it to rise until it's sort of doubled in size. And the length of time that will take depends on how warm your kitchen is. So we've had some very, very, very warm temperatures recently um, in London. So sometimes it's only taken 45 minutes, but if it's um, colder, then it could take up to like 90 or so. It sort of depends on the heat of your kitchen, the heat of the liquid that you're adding to the flour, just because when it's warmer, as long as it's not too warm, then 
the yeast will be more active. Um, if it's too warm, then it could actually kill the yeast. So you don't ever want it to be like hot, hot. Um, okay. So while that's rising, you can mix together your, um, filling. So if you're doing the vanilla filling, you just mix together hundred grams of butter, 150 grams of sugar with the vanilla seeds from the pod and the paste, the vanilla, vanilla bean paste. Um, if you're doing the prune butter, you need to put the prunes, uh, 300 grams of prunes with the juice of two lemons, about 60 grams of juice or four tablespoons into a food processor and blitz that till it's a nice paste and then mix in the butter and the brown sugar. So hundred grams of butter, 50 grams of sugar. You could mix those in by hand. I actually prefer to do that, or you could do it just by a couple of pulses, but don't over mix it in, in the food processor. Um, you kind of, yeah. Um, I don't really know what would happen actually. Maybe it's fine, but you just, you don't really need to do too much work. You're just kind of, you're just trying to incorporate it gently, basically. Um, so you've got your fillings sorted. Then once your dough has doubled in size, you are going to, um, plop it out onto a lightly floured work surface. You also want to lightly flour the rolling pin and your hands. And you need to continuously do that if it starts sticking, but try not to add too much flour to the dough because it won't, it won't, um, it'll get sort of tough. Then roll it out till you've got a lovely big rectangle. That's like a few millimeters thick. So, um, yeah, quite thin really, if you can manage it, um, leaving a small border, then you want to spread the filling in filling all over it and then shape it in your preferred way. So there's two ways that I use, but there are other methods too. One way is I just roll it up and then cut it. And then you've got like swirls, like a kind of classic cinnamon bun shape, classic American cinnamon, cinnamon bun shape. If you want twists, which is more like Scandinavian, you can, um, if you fold it into thirds, then you just cut it into strips. Then with each strip, you cut that down the middle, but not completely. So you've got one end where it's still together. Then you twist the, the, the two ends around each other and then you roll it up. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. There are lots of videos on YouTube, obviously, um, but that's how you can shape. There's two different ways that I shape them. There's other ways too, but I'm not quite as confident with those yet. I need to have a bit more practice. Um, but anyway, once you've shaped them in the way that you would like, you place them on a lined baking sheet and then cover. I like to cover with cling film, not the most environmentally friendly. If you prefer, you can cover it with a tea towel. Um, but I just find that it sometimes dries out a little bit if I do that. But you want it to be very, very puffy. And if you very lightly press one of them, you want it to not spring back and to, but also to not be completely like mushy. It needs to have a, retain its shape, but not spring back if that makes sense. And that's how you know it's ready. Um, because it's therefore it's, it, it's kind of proven all it's going to prove, but it's also not overproved and turned into a mush. So that's the ideal. Now, the amount of time it takes to do that varies again on the temperature of where you're storing it. So if you did that at room temperature, it would probably take between 45 minutes and like an hour and 15. If you do this, what my preferred thing is I do it in the fridge and then, um, if I do it in the fridge, then I can then bake them the next morning, which is just delightful. Honestly, what a, what a way to wake up. So, and it just slows it right down. So you can just leave them in the fridge overnight and they're happy and they're just slowly rising. And then in the morning, or once they finish their rise, you preheat your oven to 190 C or 375 Fahrenheit. 
If you've got a fan oven, that's 170C fan. Um, and then you also want to get your egg wash ready. So mix an egg yolk with a little bit of milk or water, or you could use egg white as well. The egg white makes it shiny, but really I'm looking for the browning, which is why I use the yolk. Then brush that over your buns. Now, if like me, you destroyed a pastry, your pastry brush, then you bought a new pastry brush and you destroyed that pastry brush. I have found an alternative method. So you can do it very, very gently with your fingers, but what you want to make sure is you don't kind of press it down. You just need to very brush, lightly brush over with your fingers. Yes, it looks a bit gross. You're dipping your fingers into egg yolk, but it does get the job done. Um, and then if you like, you can then sprinkle over um, some coarse sugar. So um, demerara or turbinado or something like that. Then bake it for, bake them for about 25 minutes. And I like to turn them around halfway. So at like 12 or 13 minute kind of mark, just so that they bake evenly, because my oven's a bit terrible for that. So those are our buns. Um, yeah. Um, and I hope that you found this, uh, this episode interesting, enjoyable, useful. You learned something one of those, or maybe a couple of them. Um, if you want to get in touch, it's flourbuttereggssugar at gmail.com. Um, please sign up to the uh, newsletter if you haven't already. It's homebaking.substack.com. Um, and I'm just going to tell you next what is coming up in future episodes, and what they're going to look like before I go. So, by the way, apologies that this episode is so late in coming. Um, I did say I was going to have a little break, but I didn't necessarily intend it to be this long. I was going to have like three weeks rather than four. But um, anyway, so here we are. Um, and I usually do release episodes on Sundays as well, rather than Mondays. So moving forward, um, I'm going to release the next episode on the 1st of October the Sunday, the 1st of October, and it's going to be on set puddings. Um, and in particular, I'm going to be featuring, um, I'm going to make a mahala beer, which I'm probably saying incorrectly, but it's like a milk based set pudding from the Middle East. And I'm with that, I'm going to feature, um, a Syrian, um, speciality called Kamar al-Din, which is or Kamar, or it's sometimes called Amardine as well, I think. Um, and it's basically a fruit leather made from dried apricots that have dried in the sun. It's so good. Um, I'm so lucky to be able to find it here. Um, it's very, it's often eaten at Ramadan. So I think that's probably when I bought it was actually in April. Um, but we'll, we'll give alternatives as well for other things you could use instead or making your own. Um, but I want to feature that and so I might, and I'm going to maybe make another set pudding as well. Um, I've never made set pudding, so I'm very excited about that. Other than, unless you count like a French chocolate mousse, but like in terms of like, yeah, thickening something, putting it in the fridge. Yeah, this is kind of a new world to me, so I'm excited and I will see you in just less than two weeks. Um, so take care, happy baking. Um, and au revoir, um, arrivederci, etc. See you soon. Bye.
so this is a, a, a slightly hilarious insight into my life. So just as a little PS, um, you may know that I keep pet rats. You may or may not, not know that, but I keep pet domesticated rats. Um, no, they don't carry diseases, not more so than any other animal anyway. Um, and they are specially bred so that they're safe for humans to interact with. Um, with that kind of goes without saying, but um, anyway, they are very, very like very intelligent little beings. It's like having tiny dogs, really. Um, they're so clever. They can be trained. They're just a wonderful, they're wonderful pets. And they don't like hot weather. Um, the, the species that we have, they really don't like it, the hot weather. In the wild, they would probably be underground or in a, like a nest that was very shaded. Um, and so we, they, they have some soil and sometimes they will dig into their soil and that keeps them cool. But we also do other things to keep them cool. So, um, my partner will set up like a, a little swimming pool for rats. So she'll like fill a plastic box with cold water and then she'll put some like fruit and veg in there. Some of it frozen that they can go and kind of fish out the fruit and veg and that kind of keeps them cool because they're getting getting in the water a little bit to get the to get the, the food that's really really cute um and and then so that's something that we've been doing for years um and it's it's adorable and she's also started putting like a ladder into it it literally just looks like a swimming pool for rats it's hilarious um and then it helps one of our rats who's got weak back legs to kind of get in and out a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, the other thing that happened recently was we had some grape granita left over. It goes really far, even though it's only 500 mil of juice. And um, we were sort of steadily making our way through this granita together. And she asked if we could give some to the rats. So my pet rats have tried this Concord grape granita and it is rat approved. So I hope that that convinces you to try it. Um, uh, so yeah. All right. Um, the other thing that I've been interested in recently is where to get Concord grape juice. So I found some in a posh, uh, a sort of posher supermarket Waitrose. Um, but I can also find it in the kosher aisle. So in case that's useful for anyone, you can get, uh, you can get lots of different grape juices in the kosher aisle a lot, a lot of the time. Some of them are Concord grapes. And I was very curious as to why you would need to find specifically, isn't all grape juice kosher? That's what I assume, but I'm wrong. No, because it's kind of, according to some orthodox kind of scholars, it's because it's made with grapes, then it needs to sort of have the same protections as wine so it still has to be overseen by um jews and things like that so really interesting but yeah that's why you can get grape juice in the kosher aisle is because then it's been properly blessed um so yes but i i just got a, a regular one i'm afraid um so those are my thoughts on grape juice and on feeding granita to my rats um <laughs> See you next time. Bye.